You're listening to episode 92 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And we are recording this on the 12th of May 2020 here in Norwich. How are you doing today, Steph? I'm not too bad, thank you. Keeping myself busy. How are you? Yeah, fine. Yeah, busy is the word. I think certainly for us, uh, being in lockdown hasn't really reduced our workload. No, it's certainly not got not got any quieter, has it? It's been a there's been a shifting around of how we present things, but it's just as it's just as busy as it always is, really, which is lovely. Yeah, and uh, this week's quite exciting because it's the the first big week where we can actually reveal some of the stuff we've been doing. This week we have the new early career writers resource pack. So we did. Two of these earlier in the year, one on beginnings for writers who are just getting started one way or another. And then we did one on method, looking at different approaches to the writing. And this month we have one all about characters. And what do we have in the pack, Steph? So for this pack, we've got an amazing array of writers actually talking about character. I'm very, very impressed with this. So we have uh, Michael Donkel on the podcast today, which we'll be talking a little more about in a minute. We've got Joe Dunthorne, who's the author of Submarine uh, on developing characters. And we've got a video of Sarah Perry, the author of The Essex Serpent and Melmoth in conversation with our chief executive, Chris Gribble. And she will also be talking about developing characters. Yeah, and we've also got some character templates, which I think will be particularly useful for any writer who's maybe struggling to get started with characters or isn't sure where to begin. So do check those out. You can download them and start using them to help flesh out your characters if you're writing. And lastly, we have a fun article in which some of us have shared our personal favourite character to be stuck with during a lockdown. I'm very intrigued to see what uh, some of our colleagues have said about this. Um, I think it's quite a tricky question, actually, quite a big commitment to uh, choose a character or a a fictional person that you'd want to be stuck in lockdown for weeks on end with. I know. It's kind of like, it's the new version of who do you want to be stuck on a desert island with, isn't it? It really is. From now on, we're not going to have desert island discs anymore. We're going to have lockdown discs. Uh, This pack is brought to you by us, obviously, in cooperation with Arts Council England, who have been really great. So the Early Career Writers Resource Packs are part of our Early Career Awards programme which includes the Desmond Elliott Prize and the Lord Kinsella Fellowship and the UEA New Forms Award. But as well as the main awards, we wanted to make sure that we had resources for all writers and particularly early career writers that are starting out. And uh, this wouldn't have been possible without support from Arts Council. So many thanks to them. And we also wanted to give another quick shout out to our Discord chat. This is our new free online community. We launched it last week along with our virtual book club discussion, but we'd now like to open it up to any and all writers who would like to join an online community and have a chat about reading, writing and books. Do head over there. It's a new community, something new that we're trying, but uh, it's hopefully going to be a really great place for writers to link up even during this period where we're all kind of stuck apart. Uh, You can find an invite to the community down in the show notes on the podcast. So let's get into today's podcast, which, as Steph mentioned, is an interview with Michael Doncor. And this is a fantastic conversation about characters and creating distinctive voices for your characters. And uh, Michael's particular approach to imbuing his characters with complexity and variety and contradictions and making sure that there's some kind of change between their state at the start of a story and the end of a story and lots of discussion about what makes for good characters. 
something which has come out of a lot of the writers who've contributed to this pack as well is a discussion about the notion of characters kind of coming alive and and having their own motivations even if it's not what the writer wanted and Joe and Sarah and Michael all have their own really interesting thoughts on what that actually means. Sounds smashing. Yeah, it's great stuff. And uh, I should also mention that at the start of this interview, we make reference to a thing called a train, which is a mode of transport we used to use in the early 21st century. You may remember it or not, but yeah, just in case that confuses anyone. A what? Hello, Michael. Hi. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. You've literally just got off a train. I have, yes. It's a whirlwind journey, but I'm really pleased to be here. (laughs) Excellent. You're here for the Escalator Mentor Scheme. Yes. Which is something that you took part in many years ago. Yeah, so that was in 2014, I think it was, and it had a different name at that time. It was called the Inspires Scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a really brilliant experience that kick-started my kind of novelistic career. Um, And I was mentored by Daniel Hahn, Mm -hmm. who made me sort of reshape my novel in all kinds of radical ways that felt quite painful at the time, (laughs) but that ultimately ended up in me producing something that I'm, I'm... really proud of actually yes and now it's sort of come full circle with you actually now as one of the mentors yeah which feels quite bizarre I was thinking about this (laughs) on the train on the way up so I do that you know I have kind of wisdom to offer to Mm. novice writers when I still feel very much like a a beginner in this game myself Um, but I'm really looking forward to just working with other writers and chatting with them about their processes and learning from them as much as they might learn something from me Mm -hmm. yeah it's that kind of it's that ongoing cycle, isn't it, of writers continuously helping the next load yeah. of writers and yeah. up and up, hopefully. So what we were going to chat about today was specifically around characters mm. and your approach to creating characters and how you work them into your work. Um, so to start with, I was wondering how much preparation and development do you do with your characters before you actually start writing them? Because mm. some people obviously will do masses of work around what is this character and what do they do and what do they think whereas other people will just dive straight into the writing Mm. of the text and then go from there what's your take on that I suppose I tend to write lots of sketches I guess is the best way of describing them with a particular character um, at their core so I won't necessarily be thinking about a plot or about a kind of overall narrative shape. Mm-hmm. I'll just want to put a character in a particular situation and see what they might do. So, for example, with Hold, lots of my kind of early kind of forays into writing that novel involved me just writing maybe 500 words about Belinda in a sort of bizarre situation and just seeing what kind of things she might think and how she might respond to her surroundings and to the other people around her and then from that process of doing lots and lots of little sketches I built up a kind of fuller sense of what this person was like Mm -hmm. what their interests were what their anxieties were um, what their aspirations were and that enabled me to then start writing Belinda into the plot a bit more convincingly but I I would say that that process of doing lots of little sketches that kind of felt in some ways a bit pointless (laughs) some people might say because they're not going to be in the main novel took quite a long time and I had to be really um, 
uh, sort of determined and firm about spending a lot of time doing this because I knew that the more I did it, the more I would have a relationship with this character that I was going to be spending the next however many years writing about in the novel. Mm-hmm. So it's worth spending time on that part of the process, I think. Yeah. So it sounds like it was quite a kind of process of discovery. Yeah, absolutely. Figuring out these characters. It's yeah. not like you sat down and went, right, Belinda is going to be like this and this and this and this. Off we go. Yeah. It was kind of feeling it out as you went along. Totally, totally. And I think for me that that sort of method of feeling things out as I can go along works really well because I'm quite sort of resistant to having a set idea about anything and desperately trying to cling to that set idea. Mm-hmm. Whenever I've worked in that sort of way, things have fallen apart really quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> because necessarily, as you write, you find out all sorts of new things or other things become interesting to you. And I think it's really important to respond to those new revelations rather than sort of thinking, oh no, but I said Belinda was going to be really shy <laughs> and now I've discovered that actually she's got some feistiness in her. I can't deal with her feistiness. No, just accept that that's another facet to this complicated human that you're building and go with that. Yeah. I think we've all read stuff and watched movies and TV shows where characters kind of bump into the plot and the plot drags them kicking and screaming yeah. into doing weird things yeah. that feels wrong. Yeah. And you, you can't necessarily put your finger on quite why it's yeah. not right. Um, but I think it's what you were saying that you don't want to you don't want to shoehorn a character down a particular route just because that's what you had in your exactly. notes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And actually, I think just um, thinking about plot, I I often say that plot should be generated from character. Mm-hmm. So once you've kind of done that exploratory work of kind of working out what this person is like and kind of figuring out their history and aspirations that will kind of, I think, reveal a struggle or a kind of desire which in itself has got narrative drive in it, you know. So in Hold, Belinda is wrestling with all sorts of issues to do with emotional repression and um, trying to reconcile the troubles of her past with what she wants her future to be like. And those kind of questions that she's dealing with inform the events that happen in the novel. Mm -hmm. So that's the way that I kind of like to work I think. Yeah, and you know, particularly in Hold, Belinda is taken out of her environment yeah. and put into a completely unusual environment yeah. to her. So in, in that regard, the plot is being used as a way to explore her character. Exactly. Rather exactly. than kind of forcing her to do something weird. Exactly, totally. And I think when I was sort of in the initial stages of writing Hold, I realised that in order for Belinda to be a fully fleshed character in order for her to be nutty and complicated she needed to rub up against other characters who are quite unlike her so lots of the other characters in the novel serve the function of helping us to get to grips with Belinda a bit a bit more Mm -hmm. Um, so that's also kind of worth thinking about as well not just um, think about your characters in isolation but thinking about how their interactions with other characters can enrich the reader's understanding of your protagonist yeah yeah, exactly. Um, I was wondering, you know, when, when you're doing these kind of exploratory sketches, how much do you draw inspiration from real people mm. that you've met, or even how much of yourself mm. is, is in each of your characters? Um, it's, it's always a tricky question, this um, <laughs> kind of business of the autobiographical nature of um, novel writing and character building, because 
obviously at some level everything that I create is autobiographical because it's something that I have been interested in or something that has struck me and it will have struck me in a way that's different to the Mm -hmm. next person Um, but I suppose more kind of directly withhold I kind of had a sense that there were particular elements of my character of my personality that were going to be sort of channeled into Belinda and I quite enjoyed the experience of looking at myself and kind of warping bits of myself yeah. in order for it to kind of fit a fictional framework that mm-hmm. was quite interesting um, and the current novel that I'm working on at the moment is much more directly autobiographical and the challenge that's posed by that is that there are things that happen to me on a daily basis that I think oh gosh that's re- that's really interesting weird little moment is that novel worthy is the mm-hmm. question that I'm always asking myself or what do I need to do to that moment to make it kind of novel worthy? Um, what do I need to do to this kind of version of myself in this novel to make it a kind of tangible character and not just a kind of weird mishmash of bits of myself? Yeah. Um, because the novel that I'm working on at the moment is not a direct autobiography, it's not a memoir. And so I need to sort of do things quite carefully to craft the kind of central character mm-hmm. so that it's, a, it, it's a figure in fiction and not just a kind of factual piece of work. Yes. So there are all kinds of complex things that I'm dealing with at the moment in creating this particular character. Um, I suppose also in terms of drawing on people around me when I'm building characters, I do do that quite a lot. And sometimes it's not necessarily as straightforward as, oh... Um, Amma in Hold is going to be exactly like that girl, <laughs> Rachel, who was in my class when I was in year 13. <laughs> yeah. But it might be something like, I overheard someone in the staff room having a particular kind of argument with a, another colleague the other day. Something about the quality of that argument I'm going to sort of bring into the characterisation of Amma or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit more nebulous. I don't think I've ever written a character where you could sort of find their direct replica walking around in (laughs) in the real world. Um, Yeah, the characters are often sort of strange knittings together of little observations that I've made of people, um, snippets of conversations, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and looking back, you know, withhold, once it's a finished thing, do you sometimes look at these characters and... You can't quite remember where they came from. Mm, there are, I mean, yeah, there are certainly things that some of the characters do, and I think, well, what, what triggered that thought? <laughs> what triggered that idea? And I, I sort of love that process of looking back at something that you spent a long time on, but maybe have sort of mm, developed yeah. a bit of distance with, because it does remind one of the sort of magical alchemy that is novel writing. There's, there's all sorts of things that are intentional and that are very kind of carefully worked over in, in, in that novel and in all of my writing. But there are also lots of things that happen just by chance. There are lots mm-hmm. of things that happen in this big expanse of 90,000 <laughs> words that I don't really remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I like that sort of, um, that sort of chance aspect of, of things. Mm-hmm. Um, some writers talk about their characters having a mind of their own mm. and you know, refusing to do something or mm. doing something they didn't expect. Um, whereas other writers are like, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm just writing a book and yeah. I'm in control. Like, kind of, where do you fall on that? Um, 
I mean, I maybe I'm too controlling <laughs> to actually think that these characters have agency yeah. and a, a will of their own. I, I think I sort of veer more towards the school of thought that I'm sort of running the show. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that idea that sometimes it feels like your characters are kind of overtaking things. Mm. But I actually think that that is a, is a sort of a symptom of an author having a really deep understanding of their character and a real confidence in um, letting characters just kind of keep growing and allowing the writing to just go where it wants to go. Mm. I think that's what's happening in those moments. It's that perhaps an author has an intention of what they want to happen and then a new idea emerges and there's no fear with kind of pursuing that new idea. So I think often when I was writing Hold, that kind of thing did happen where I'd kind of sit down and think, okay, in this chapter, I want Belinda and Emma to be uh, walking along a main road in South London. And by the end of it, I want there to be a kind of deepened sense of uh, closeness between the two Mm -hmm. of them. And as I started writing, things would emerge, ideas would emerge to me about how I could kind of take the conversation into unexpected territory or in mm. new, new, um, or down new paths. And I suppose one way of looking at that is, oh, the characters were sort of developing their own lives, but I think it's more to do with, I just felt confident and comfortable with, I know what these characters are like, let's just see what might happen here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, that the difference between exploring it as you go to a degree rather than you know trying to plan and formulate yeah. it up front yeah and some of the best ideas will emerge in the middle of the writing yeah um what about point of view mm. and perspective and how that affects a reader's interaction with characters um so like in hold how did you settle upon the way you were going to tell the story um i always knew that it was going to predominantly be belinda's story and i always wanted the reader to feel very, very close to Belinda. And I don't mean close as in um, able to identify with her or to like her the whole time. Mm. But I did want the reader to only really be able to see the world from Belinda's kind of perspective with all of its limitations and all of the kind of brilliance of that very particular way of looking at the world. And so maybe this is a kind of odd way of thinking about it. I knew that I didn't want to write in the first person because I'm not brave enough. <laughs> um, I think writing in the first person is is really challenging. Mm. Um, and I think I felt that I might fall into sort of mawkishness in some ways if I wrote in the first person. Mm. Um, and so I always thought I'd kind of go with the third person, um, but as I said, very kind of close third person narrator. And the way that I often try to visualise things when I was writing from Belinda's perspective was that I was sort of sitting on her shoulder, <laughs> this little tiny, strange little being <laughs> sitting on her shoulder um, and looking at the world as she looked at the world. And that was quite a helpful kind of um, yeah. sort of device for me when I was writing. But as I kind of developed the kind of narrative... Um, as I said, I kind of realised that she needed to have forces to kind of rub up against. She needed kind of antagonists, if you want to kind of think about it like that. So Amma emerged, and I became really interested in Amma and how sharply different in some ways her view on the world is in comparison to Belinda's. And in the in the middle of the novel, the sort of perspective shifts between Amma's point of view and Amma's sorry, Amazon's point of view and Belinda's point of view for a number of chapters. Mm. And I 
sort of decided on that um, device, A, because it sort of interested me, you know, there was something really fun about, okay, I'm going to be with Belinda for a week and a half writing mm-hmm. her chapter. Okay, now I'm going to dive into a completely different world. It sort of re-energised me. But also, I think it, it sort of energised the plot as well to have this sense of variety and texture and kind of moving between different um, outlooks. Um, and writing from Amma's perspective, again, I wanted to have that same kind of closeness. So I was doing the same thing if it came sitting on... Emma's shoulder, still this tiny version of me sitting on her shoulder. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> um, it's just what authors do, continue to crouch on other people. <laughs> um, but the, the challenge was making sure that the kind of language that I was using and the observations that Emma was making were sufficiently different from mm. Belinda's. Um, and that was quite hard, particularly because I had spent such a long time understanding Belinda and thinking mm-hmm. about her voice and thinking about the kinds of references that she might make and comparisons that she might make to then suddenly kind of develop the same level of detail and intimacy with a very, very different character was hard, but it was something that I kind of wanted to challenge myself with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of making character voices mm. distinctive, mm. You know, whether that's like in the heads mm. or actual dialogue, mm. kind of how did you go about approaching that kind of thing. Um, in some ways, with this novel, that challenge felt quite achievable or manageable in the sense that because Belinda is mm-hmm. Ghanaian, there was always going to be that kind of inflecting her English. And because I wanted Emma to be a very particular kind of entitled, privileged uh, London teenager, there were going to be all sorts of ticks and traits to her speech, which were clearly going to be very different from from the way that Belinda spoke. So that that was kind of um, just quite a useful kind of dichotomy between the two um, characters. But I suppose when I, it actually came to sitting down and writing their voices and thinking about how I'd be narrating their thoughts, I did a lot of reading aloud of the dialogue and the narration mm. and making sure it, it sounded as I wanted it, wanted it to sound. Um, I kind of performed a lot of it to myself whilst I was reading. I really enjoy doing readings of the novel and often um, readers and audiences talk a lot about how theatrical those sort of readings are. And that's basically because I have sort of rehearsed these voices like four million times. Um, But it was a really helpful bit of the process for me just to kind of keep hearing those voices and keep thinking, is that how people actually speak Mm -hmm. does Belinda's Ghanaian English sound like the Ghanaian English that I encounter when I see my family or when I go back to Ghana does um Amma's slightly pompous slightly frustrating um slightly pretentious way of speaking remind me of the ways that teenagers used to speak when I was a teenager the ways that the teenagers that I speak now speak Mm -hmm. so I, I had that kind of those sort of checking points in my head whilst I was listening to myself um, reading those words aloud. Yeah, and the the time period it's set in, mm. like how critical was that to kind of rooting the characters in, in, in that time period? Um, vital. <laughs> <laughs> I think especially for Amma, who is grappling with various aspects of her identity, I wanted her to very much be a teenager of 2002 because a teenager of 2020 actually would approach those issues around selfhood and um, identity 
in quite a different way, I think. Um, you know, e- even though there's a sort of 20-year span between 20, um, 2002 and 2020, actually attitudes towards things like sexuality, mm. race and so on have changed quite significantly. And I wanted some of Amma's concerns about how people might react to who she is to, to be very particular to that time period. Um, and I, I guess I was reflecting a lot on my own teenage years. So Amma is 17 in 2002. I was around that age at mm. that time. And I was channeling, so going back to the earlier question about autobiography, I guess I was channeling lots of my own kind of questions about my place in the world through mm. lots of Amma's um, introspection. Yeah, that's no, really interesting. And I guess that also infuses the whole thing with a kind of authenticity mm. because it does connect directly to your experience yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, when you get into the editing process, mm. so you know, you've you've done these exploratory sketches at the start, you've you've written first draft. Once you and yeah, the characters kind of emerge during the writing process, but once you get into editing, and I don't know, I'm not sure what your approach to editing is, whether it's you, know, you have a first draft and then you edit mm-hmm. or whether it's as you go along but once you get into that level where it's you know a bit more analytical and process driven mm. I suppose like how how does that affect how the characters are on the page I suppose um, there are two things that I'm thinking about in terms of character when I'm editing and they sound maybe kind of contradictory but that's just the nature of writing <laughs> um, so one thing that I'm looking for I suppose is consistency some kind of consistency usually that's consistency of of voice Mm -hmm. so if a character at the beginning of the novel starts off with a kind of very hesitant way of communicating and then three pages later they're full of confidence and fluency i'd sort of want to think about why that's the case Mm -hmm. if that's a deliberate thing as in this character has become more confident and so the way they're speaking has changed fair enough but if that hasn't been sort of fleshed out in the narrative, then that probably needs more work. So that idea of consistency, unless there are significant reasons for shifts and changes, is important. But then, also, I suppose in terms of what this character is like, I'm also kind of looking for complexity and variety, is what I mean about the contradiction. Because if a character starts off as um, bold and confident and they know what they're about and they've got their life together... And that's how they end the novel. <laughs> I, what's the point in reading that novel? So there needs to kind of be moments where, I guess, the what seems to be the kind of integral parts of a character are tested in some way, or we encounter a moment or several moments where those aspects of a character that seem integral fall apart a bit, or someone calls them into question, mm-hmm. and maybe the character has to kind of think about themselves in a kind of new way. That thinking might lead the character to actually returning to their original selves, if you want to think about it like mm-hmm. that. But it might actually lead them to do something new, move forward in a kind of new way, and, and so on. So if I'm when I'm editing, I find that a character is just doing the same stuff over and over and over again, that will sort of ring alarm bells. Um, if their interests are the same over and over and over again as well. So if they talk about the same kinds of things, they're always going on about being hungry or they're always talking about clothes. That, unless that's maybe comic or, you know, mm. there's there's some kind of larger reason for that repetition, I would try and think about kind of looking for a bit more variety, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the complications, isn't it, of, of creating interesting characters is that 
although you want a consistency so that a reader knows oh, that's, that's this character yeah, yeah. at the same time real people are full of contradictions yeah. and do things that are completely out of character all the yeah. time and reconciling those two yeah. things in a fictional novel yeah. is quite a challenge I suppose one thing to kind of think about is when those contradictions happen when the bold character does something recessive or shy thinking about what that contributes to the narrative overall mm. does that moment of difference move the plot forward in some way does it kind of um, allow us to access maybe a bit of the character's past that we didn't know about before mm-hmm. um, so that that might be a kind of way of sometimes justifying those sort of moments that feel like you're kind of going against the characterization that you've already established yeah because i'm always trying to pin down what makes good characters mm-hmm. and you know we people can point to books and films where they've watched them and gone oh, the characters weren't very interesting yeah they weren't very good but like specifically what it is that makes a character good or not mm. or interesting or not mm. um i wonder whether it's sometimes some of those inconsistencies and yeah which kind of bring out those sub subtext yeah elements. absolutely i think a character's capacity to surprise us mm. is really important. So there are in hold all sorts of moments where Belinda does things that are quite unpalatable and has attitudes that are quite um, quite kind of confront, I think, a kind of progressive liberal modern reader and make us kind of wonder about our attachment to this young woman. Maybe she's actually not that pleasant. Maybe actually some of her logic is a bit weird. And those moments, I think, are really important because, as you're saying, as you're saying earlier, I think those moments where characters do things that we don't necessarily want them to do or that they shouldn't do based on our <laughs> expectations yeah. are often quite humanising moments because we all do things that are entirely out of keeping with what we generally do. We surprise ourselves and then have to deal with the weird stuff that we've done. <laughs> we surprise other people and they have to deal with the weird stuff that, that we've done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those moments where things don't go quite as we anticipated with a character make reading a really kind of interesting and engaging process. Mm. In terms of uh, characters being likable, mm. you, you mentioned earlier mm. how with Belinda, like her being likable wasn't a, a critical factor. But sometimes you do see people who are like, "Oh, I didn't like that book, so I just didn't like any of the characters." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how much of a like in the back of your head, how much of a concern is that? Or is, is that not a factor? In the back of my head, it's a kind of quiet concern. Um, because I think it is very difficult for a reader to get through a whole novel and just think, I absolutely hate this person. I don't know, there are, there are a few novels that I've read where the kind of moral universe that the characters occupy and the characters' actions are just so horrid that I, I just feel kind of dirtied by yeah. spending time with them and spending time in their world. And maybe there's some value in reading and feeling dirty as well. Sometimes you just don't really want that. Mm. Um, so I am always sort of aware of the fact that readers don't necessarily need to like a character, but they need to be able to see their humanity, I suppose. That's the important thing, isn't it? That if they are doing things that are unappealing, that the reader needs to understand on some human level why they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a kind of pretentious leap to make, but I was was teaching um, Othello to one of my classes at school yesterday, and we were talking about Iago, 
And Coleridge says this thing about one of the things that's really terrifying about Iago is that he's without motive. He's a motiveless malignity. And that idea of a character who's really horrible and you can't understand why they're horrible um, troubles me. I think, Mm. yes, let's have um, knotty, um, spiky, weird characters in our novels, but give the reader an opportunity to kind of get into their psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, So they might not necessarily be likeable, but they should be kind of comprehensible to a certain extent, I think. Um, Having said that... uh, I think often if you've got a character in a novel who is pretty odious, it's really useful to have a character in in the mix that's much more straightforwardly appealing. So, for example, when Belinda or Amma do things that are annoying in the novel, very deliberately annoying, um, there's, there's Mary in the background who's this cheeky, lively bouncy, naughty, fun personality. So the, the the reader isn't sort of constantly mired in this world of, God, these two teenage girls do things that are really irritating, actually, <laughs> because there's a bit of relief from another character um, mm. who is just a joyful presence. Yeah. Um, when you came to the end of writing Hold, mm. and it was all done, mm. and you were finished mm. with the text, uh, and you're not going to see these characters again mm. in, in your work how how does that feel is it yeah I'll finish the project or is there a, a slight grieving process or how does it work for you um, that was quite a strange process in that when I sort of signed off the final manuscript and said to my editor and um, editorial assistant right okay yes I'm happy with it you're happy with it um, great there was then quite a long process between oh sorry a long period between that and the book kind of coming out in the world so there was a sort of year or so when a hold was kind of done and I was sort of twiddling my thumbs kind of thinking about the next novel but also just waiting for all of the promo stuff to happen Um, and the reason why I kind of mentioned the promo stuff is because that is another phase in the life of these characters because Mm -hmm. even though I'd finished writing about them a year before I then had to um, do events and um, write things in papers and so on where these characters were kind of being reanimated mm-hmm. and I was also engaging with readers' reactions to these characters and thinking about how these readers kind of felt about Belinda and Emma mm-hmm. and Mary and, and so on. So even though I had kind of said goodbye to the characters in one sense, they were still very much with me for a good, I guess, maybe two years after um the novel had had sort of been been sort of sent off to the editor so yeah that's been a bit of a weird one that i hadn't really anticipated when i was writing i had kind of thought okay when i finish the novel bye bye amma bye bye belinda that's it i'll move on to the next thing yeah. but um they they are still very much with me and i suppose in a in a more conceptual sense in writing the second novel they are still with me hmm. because there are there are things that I kind of recognise in the protagonist in this new novel that are a bit Belinda-ish. <laughs> and sometimes I think, oh, is that a bad thing? Am I writing the same novel again? Is yeah. this just um, a kind of bloke version of Belinda? <laughs> <laughs> um, and sometimes I kind of worry about that. But sometimes I think, well, there, there are 
there are kind of personalities that interest me. Mm. I think in my fiction there will always be certain types of characters that recur because those are the sorts of individuals that I like thinking about and that I think are interesting as they move through the world. So, yeah, I imagine that there'll be incarnations of Belinda, Mary and Emma and Nana uh, and Belinda's mother in all of my novels in some way. I'm sure you'll be able to kind of trace those figures. Um, yeah, so those characters, they are alive and kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and now uh, lots of other people have met them as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just <laughs> lovely. Really lovely. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for your time. That's great. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to Michael and thanks to Simon for that fantastic interview. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre and we're over on Facebook. You can ping us an email on info at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and you can sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Don't forget, if you want to join the Discord community, you can find the invite down in the show notes. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you next week.